All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Boca Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Holritz. It's good to have you here today. Happy Monday to you. For those of you that are live streaming with us, I hope you had a good weekend. Make it a great week this week. Uh, I'm definitely going to, there's a lot of different stuff going on, but it's nice to just kind of take a break for a second and uh, have some conversation. We're gonna get into really interesting conversation. I think a needed conversation regarding our photography industry today. And I'm gonna introduce our brand new guest here in just one second. For those of you who are not live streaming, if you're listening to the audio version of this after the fact, make sure that you subscribe to Boca B-O-K-E-H podcast on Instagram. And uh, you can keep up to date with the upcoming live stream schedule. We usually have one to two a week and you can come join us, be part of the conversation here, ask questions, comment, ultimately join the conversation. That's what I'd really like to see. And for those of you that are live streaming today, please don't be shy. Join in, ask questions, comment, share your own experiences and um, get involved in the conversation at hand. And on that note, I do want to introduce our brand new guest today. Scott Joes White is here with me. Thank you, Scott, for making time to have this conversation today. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me. It's uh, when, you, when you first reached out about this topic, I was just like, oh, boy, do I really want to go about talking about this in a more public manner? Um, <laughs> but uh, your encouragement has uh, caused me to think about it and be like, yeah, we really do need to have this conversation uh, because... You know, while our, we, we both have been in this industry a, a fair amount of time now at this point, mm. and uh, I think there are some things, you know, that are, are good and should be keep, continue to be done the way that they are. And then there's other things that maybe we do need to reconsider or change in our approach to because uh, things have changed over time. Uh, the world has changed. And so uh, love to have a maybe a little bit of a difficult conversation today about some of these things that might make some people uncomfortable. But uh, honestly, that's usually when where the good stuff is on the other side of these difficult conversations. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, my friend Sean Austin, who's CEO at, at Kiss Books, he talks about that, the, the difficult conversations. I know I've had plenty of difficult conversations in my life, even in the last few years. And you're, you're absolutely right that in the moment it's uncomfortable, but if you're willing to take that little bit of a chance, a little bit of a risk, have the conversation, the potential for growth in the other side of that difficult conversation is, is pretty incredible. And um, so we're going to do that today. And, and thanks for enabling this too. I, I know, and we'll, we'll talk details here in just a second. You're, you posted on Facebook last month, beginning of last month, which is how this whole thing came about. I, I saw your post commenting on the industry at large. And uh, honestly, the Boca podcast, we've been around for about six years now, but my original intention was to have more of these kinds of conversations. And what it's turned into has been wonderful for the sake of adding value to the industry just on an educational level. But I want to have more of these. And so I appreciate your willingness to, to take a little bit of a risk yourself and have this conversation today. We'll talk about details in just a second. Scott, will you just briefly introduce yourself and your brand, give our listeners a little bit of context as to what you do in the industry? Sure, sure. So my name is Scott Joeswhite. Uh, I used to be a seventh grade special education math teacher. Uh, that was my job for 10 years. Wow. And uh, I had degrees in special education, uh, English and math. I uh, got my master's, got everything. That was going to be my trek for life. And um, while it was great and I really, truly loved working with the kids, uh, I got very tired of the politics. And uh, during that time, the industry... Uh, my business started to take off with photography, and uh, I really realized that uh, my dad owned his own business. He was an accountant, and uh, so I kind of 
got that little sense of like, oh, I could make my own thing, be my own boss. Uh, I'm an only child. I don't play well with others sometimes. So um, <laughs> that's that was kind of like, oh, this probably makes sense for you because you get to do what you want to do. Mm. Um, I was honestly never a creative person. I was a numbers guy. I was a math teacher. Um, okay. But uh, I kind of approached photography from a a much more technical analytical side um, that I think a lot of people weren't used to. I wasn't used to, and I kind of figured things out from there. Uh, so along the way, it's it's been wild. I've photographed about 400-something weddings at this point. Wow. Uh, I'm an ambassador for Sprout, MagMod, um, a lot of the big names, which has been a huge, huge honor. And um, now I'm kind of... Um, not stepping away from weddings that by any means, I'm still continuing to shoot them, but I'm trying to lessen the number of those and uh, really get back to my roots, which is education and uh, working with photographers, both one-on-one -on -one and in group settings to really help them just kind of refine their business uh, in a way that makes sense for their business. I, I see so many uh, educators and models of very much like, here, follow exactly what I do and you will be successful. And uh, in the in the education world, not the photography industry, in the true education world, um, that's one of the worst things you can do. You know, every every yeah. student, every person is unique. And mm. so we need to tailor things to each person's business and make sure that it actually fits, it makes sense, because otherwise it's not going to stick and there's not going to be any actual fundamental changes at the end of the day. Um, so that's really where I'm trying to take things in the future. Um, but I still love shooting and being active and doing all that stuff. Uh, weddings are my jam, but I know I'm getting older and I can't do this forever. So, <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been in the industry now altogether? Uh, let's see. I shot my first wedding in 2014. So coming okay. up on 10 years here. Okay, very cool. So. And, and I think that context is important too, in light of the conversation we're about to have. I just want photographers to know where you're coming from. I appreciate you sharing, sharing a little bit of your resume as well. And, and actually, for those of you that are live streaming with us, if you go to smjphotography.net, we've got it up here on the screen, you can see more of Scott's work, uh, which is quite stunning. You can follow him on Instagram, smjphoto. And then um, we'll talk a little bit more about this later, but if you go to purposeandprocess.co, uh, you can also see the education that Scott is referring to that he offers, and you can follow the Instagram account at the same name, Purpose and Process. And we'll link to all of these in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. Thanks for giving a little bit of background, Scott. Jakevius uh, on YouTube says, hello, my fellow Sprout ah, ambassador nice. colleague, whoop, whoop, <laughs> Scott. So. Thanks for the shout out there, Jakevius, and thanks for listening in. For those of you that are live streaming with us, again, don't be shy. Say hello, comment, ask questions, and ultimately join in the conversation. I think it's really important. And on that note, let's just kind of jump right into it, Scott. Uh, I mentioned that I saw a Facebook post, uh, I guess it was the beginning of last month, where mm -hmm. you commented on some issues that you saw in the photography industry. And we're going to talk and kind of break each of those down here in just a second. But what was the initial impetus? Like, why of all times at this point did you decide just to kind of put it out there, your thoughts on where the, the photography industry needed improvement? I know. Why in the middle of wedding season would I stir the pot even more, right? <laughs> of all and times, piss off yeah. everyone in the wedding industry. Um, <laughs> no, it was, um, you know, with being in the heart of wedding industry, right, of uh, the industry in the busiest time of the year for a lot of people right now, um, I've been seeing so many posts um, online, privately, everything of, you know, oh, I need a second, my second bailed. Um, you know, who do I go to for help for this? Um, I've just been seeing so many different, um, basically, cries for help. Um, some of them were due to a lack of planning. Mm -hmm. Others were due to 
them being in an unfortunate situation because of somebody else's choices or actions or things like that. Um, and so it was just kind of like, wow, it's been happening more than ever, uh, especially I feel like since the pandemic happened because a lot of people have uh, stepped away from the industry or some people are in it, but maybe shouldn't be anymore because they've kind of shifted their priorities elsewhere. And that's fine. Um, but then you have to kind of change how you're handling things. And I feel like a lot of people um, are still thinking that things are still back like they were in 2019. And I hate to say it, they're not. The, mm -hmm. the world has changed and mm -hmm. we're not heading back that way. Things are forever going to be a little bit different moving forward. And uh, we need to adapt some. And uh, nobody likes to hear that, myself included. Um, I, I hate having to change. But uh, as business owners, if we want to stay relevant, we have to change. And uh, our industry, I think, as a whole, um, needs to make some fundamental changes within it in order for pe new people who are coming in to want to stay in it and mm. make it in the long term. Uh, because we see so many people come in uh, but they don't make it very long or people who have been in here a long time are now just like, look, I'm done. This is getting too out of control. Um, and I really can't say I blame them at this point. Well, and, and let me just give a little bit more context um, to the first part of your post there referencing photographers and their seeming lack of responsibility when it came to showing up for the events that they're photographing. You said, I'm really disappointed in the photography industry. I've seen countless posts of photographers looking for replacements at the last minute because their help bailed and not for valid reasons. Sickness and other emergencies aren't what I'm talking about here. I've seen countless posts of photographers looking for help at the last minute because of their own lack of planning. There are no do-overs in our industry. One day, one chance. Don't F it up. I've missed one wedding in all of my years, and it's because I was having emergency double hernia surgery. I've walked 20,000 steps in a walking boot while shooting a wedding. I'm not missing a wedding unless I'm literally in the hospital. We need to do better. Show up for each other when you say you will. We all need, to, we, we all need each other in order to really do our jobs. Um, it, why do you or how do you think that, that com coming through COVID, I guess, has affected people's perspective when it comes to willingness to show up are they used to being able to play i mean back in the day it was playing the covid card i can't do this or can't be there mm -hmm. because of do you think that has some effect on it or what's the influence that you think is at play here i think i think a lot of it has been just due to the fact of um of people of a lot of burnout uh which i think is something we all discovered over the pandemic which was like wow we are probably all overworking ourselves and we need more balance in our lives um but at the end of the day, uh, we also have to remember that these are weddings, you know, these are set on one specific date and it's, you know, now that COVID's over, like it's not changing dates. It's going to be on that date. It's happening. And if you said you're going to be there, you need to be there. Mm. Um, so I, I feel like a lot of people I think are just honestly taking on too much work. Um, that's, I think the number one thing that we're seeing is that, um, you know, granted, a lot of us suffered and we didn't make a lot of money during uh, the pandemic um, and even coming out of it maybe last year, even though in different areas of the world it was busier than others. It just kind of depends on where you're at. Um, but I really think a lot of people took on way too much work and therefore, you know, they're missing deadlines. And so, like, I know of somebody who they found out somebody bailed on them for a second shooter job. But really, they were bailing on them because they were trying to edit photos that were past due to their own clients. Mm. And it was just like, that's not a good excuse. And really, I hate to say it, but like, that's on you because you did, 
you know, poor planning and you weren't prepared. And now you not only are hurting your own couples, but you're hurting these other couples and these other photographers as well, because you took on too much. Um, my, my favorite word, I mean, I know, I think I'm probably in the minority. My favorite word is no. Um, the answer is always <laughs> no first. Yeah. And then it's, uh, I need to check. I need to see if I have the capacity mm. to handle this. Um, so I see so many people that, uh, you know, just associate jobs out to. I think that's a really big thing that, um, again, it's probably a controversial stance, but I think way too many people use associate photographers as a way to try to keep business that they shouldn't be keeping. Uh, meaning that, you know, some people have associates and they're great and they are like full-time people that work exclusively with those photographers. And, you know, that's a great thing because there is consistency there. There's an expectation. They know what they're going to get. They're reliable people. What I see so often, though, is, you know, a couple inquires, the photographer's already booked being, you know, shooting a wedding. And they say, well, you know, they really like my work. They really wanted to book with me. So I signed them on and then they're going to go try to find a photographer later on mm, for that. Okay. And, you know, this person might be, it might be a one-off person or it might be a person they use randomly or, you know, they post in a Facebook group and they hope to find somebody and they just throw them at it and hope that it works. And I mean, hey, look, if the couple's happy at the end of the day, that's all that matters. But I, I think we could all agree it kind of does a disservice and it also leaves a lot of room open for errors there. Um, because, you know, the couple and the photographer, you're hoping that they meet, discuss that all these things happen, but none of this is a guarantee. And, um, there's just so much room for error in things like that. Um, so again, you know, yes, you're not shooting that wedding as well, but you still have to handle the client communication, the editing delivery, all of these other things there. Um, so again, it's just taking on way too much, way more than you should be doing. And I really think that's uh, a big area there as well that I'm seeing issues with. And I guess a lot of that, just based on the way that you're describing it, comes from almost a sense of FOMO, right? Like if, if I don't book or hold on to this particular client, I'm going to miss out. Maybe some of that also stems from how photographers ultimately lost business during the pandemic. So the last thing they want to do is now give up any potential for business and they're taking on more than they can. I, I mean... I'm a bit of a minimalist and some simplicity freak, but um, so I have a tendency of oversimplifying things at times. But it, I mean, in this case, in order to to minimize the possibility of taking on more than we can actually effectively handle, is it just a matter of establishing what that looks like for ourselves and then clearly blocking up or not blocking up our calendar accordingly? Or what, what do you what would you suggest as a solution here? I mean, I'm, I'm like you too. I mean, it's really a simple solution to this, this problem here, which is knowing what is your capacity and actually sticking to it. Um, like every year I sit down and basically say, how many weddings do I want to work this year? And so for me, that number is 20 and I will not go past it unless I truly look at my calendar and I see I have the ability to handle it, the post-production especially. And then I talk to my wife, my family to make sure that it can fit within our schedules. It's not going to affect any vacations or planned time off or things like that. Um, it, it really just does come down to saying, okay, I want to give the best version of myself to every one of mm. my couples. Okay. And when I go above that set number, I cannot give my clients that experience that I want to give them. 
And I don't think a lot of photographers realize this, but that's actually a really big selling point um, when you are meeting with clients and telling them that fact. Mm. So like I tell couples like, hey, look, I work with 20 couples a year. This is as much an interview for you as it is for me because I need to make sure you're a good fit, that you understand what I do. I want to understand what it is, what you want to make sure we're on the same page. And so many couples are so relieved to hear that because they've been talking to other people who are shooting 40, 50 weddings a year. And hey, if that's working for them, that's great. You know, I know every single one of my couples by name can tell you where they're getting married at, what their date is and all of that stuff because I try to keep it scaled down. I understand that model is not for everybody um, and I'm not saying it's the perfect fit for everyone. But um, at the end of the day, it's really truly about understanding your capacity and making sure that you are not going outside of that capacity. And so that way you can set yourself up for success. And then if anything else comes along, you can have that, uh, that thought or have that discussion about, okay, do I want to up it a little bit or not? So like, for example, I have 23 weddings this year of my own. Those extra three were all very small weddings that happened. Um, I have two Fridays and then a Monday one even. And so those were, okay, this does not greatly affect anything else for me. I'm willing to take these on. But there's been tons of other weddings that I have turned down. And it's just something I have to be okay with and know that, yes, I could take them on. But then I'm never going to see my family. I'm never going to get to go on a vacation. I'm never going to get to have any downtime at all. Right. And uh, I did not get into this business to live a life like that. <laughs> no, I'm 100% with you on that. Uh so, I mean, obviously following through on our word, and I think, you know, it's a larger cultural conversation. I hold my word very dearly. If I commit to something, that means something to me. I think in, in current culture, and it's been this way for some time, but people just say words to say words. It, it's not that they actually necessarily mean that literally. They'll just kind of say it conversationally just to get through a conversation. And I have a problem with that because... One, it makes you less trustworthy. People don't know what to believe mm -hmm. and what not to believe. I'd rather somebody hear what I say and literally be able to go to the dictionary, look up the words that I just said and say, oh, Nate meant this and this is what he's going to do. And that says something. And, and like you said, if you can go to a client and explain to them that that is the business model that you're running and that you are going to follow through in that regard, I think it it's, speaks highly of a brand. It also begs the question, though, if something does go wrong to the extreme that you described um, for yourself, running into a, a health issue, a genuine health issue, mm -hmm. how do you what is your backup plan? Um, like and, and maybe this could be a good point of reference for especially new photographers who don't have something in place. What does your plan B look like? How do you assure your clients or potential clients that if something happens to you, they're going to get a comparable experience from another photographer? Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many ways you can handle it. Uh, it's truly up to whatever you are comfortable with and making sure that you educate your clients on this. Um, I feel like that's the number one area photographers run into issues with is because they don't tell their uh, couples how they will go forward with handling this. So for myself, the first preference is, look, if I cannot be there for some really bizarre reason, I will go and find a replacement photographer to shoot at my place and I will handle everything else from that point on. Mm. I will then share that photographer's whole portfolio with them 
to make sure that they can get a good feel for, okay, they're well equipped, they're going to be skilled and talented enough to do something similar to what I do. Um, and then if the couple agrees to that, then great, we'll sign a little contract that says, hey, this person's going to step in for me, I'm going to handle everything else. Um, and so having a network of people that you trust and can go to is really huge. It's um, I think some photographers obsess too much with networking with other photographers, um, but it is good to have a network. Wait, I'm, I'm jotting that sort. down. We're going to come back to that one in just a second. <laughs> <laughs> keep going, keep going. Um, so like it, it is important to network and have some people that you know that you can bring in. Um, now, the other thing is you can also just tell the couple, hey, look, I'm sorry, I can't be there. And sometimes the couple might say, hey, look, if you're not going to be there, we don't want you. We want to go and find our own person. And that can happen. And uh, in that case, it's like, cool, here's your money back for everything outside of, you know, the non-refundable retainer and all that fun legal stuff that we got to deal with. Um, and then, hey, you can go find whoever that person is there. Um, but really, it's, it's truly about just having a good backup network, having some friends, colleagues that you can trust, um, and really hoping that doesn't happen. Again, I, I mean, I, in my opinion is, if I give you my word, I'm going to be there, I'm going to be there. Um, and, and I know some people feel differently about this, but for me, if I can be there even at 50 to 75% of mm -hmm. my normal ability, mm -hmm. um, I think most of my couples would still take me over somebody else mm. because I've developed a very deep relationship with them. Um, I generally know a lot of their family, friends, uh, different things like that at that point. Um, and I can make it work knowing that with my experience that I have and all of that, I can still produce a good product in that end. If I ever felt like I truly couldn't, right. um, that would be the case where I'd be like, okay, guys, look, I can be there, but I'm going to be of no use. And I really want you guys to enjoy your photos and have the best photos at the end of the day. So here's what I would recommend. And Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's up to the couple. Um, mm. That's what we always have to remember. You know, that yes, there's there's a contract and all that in place, but at the end of the day, my goal is to have a happy couple. And if that means me being there, so be it. If that means me hiring somebody out in my place, then so be that. Jenny on YouTube, she says it comes down to clients over profits and personal self-care over profits and making profits from taking less and charging appropriately. And we're hitting a number of topics there, Jenny. Thanks for, for commenting and, and I, I by the way, to be clear, I, I'm not suggesting, Jenny, that this is what you're talking about, but when, when you bring up that, that phrase self-care, this is something that we hear quite a bit in the industry. And so uh, I want to at least ask you about this, Scott. Do you think that we've gotten a little bit soft in, in our culture? And, and the reason I ask that is because there has been this obsession with so-called self-care in our industry over the last few years. You hear that, that phrase quite a bit. I've heard it on my own podcast quite a bit from photographers that have been yep. on here. And while I understand its significance to a great extent, actually. Um, I certainly prioritize it for myself. I also just wonder if we've gotten so soft in some occasions that we're not willing to do exactly what it is that you're talking about, which is to show up, to kind of push through a little bit of difficulty for the sake of following through in our word, for the sake of our brand and its appearance to clients. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, and that's the reason why I take 20 weddings a year is because I know mentally and physically for me, once I get past that point, um, it gets tough for me. And can I push past that? Of course I could, um, but I know for myself, in order to do the best job that I really wanna do, 
that's my limit. That is my capacity. Okay. Um, and everybody has to know that. Like I have friends who do 50 weddings a year and they're okay doing that uh, because they're used to it. They've trained themselves for it and that works for them. And it's like, cool. Hey, you do you. Um, but like I've shot weddings where, yeah, I've had family members in the hospital and, um, you know, I basically said, look, are they dying? No, then I'm going to go shoot this wedding because I need to be there. And I'm going to make sure that, you know, I check in on my phone every now and then to make sure that everything is okay. Hmm. Um, now with having the birth of my son, uh, he's going to be eight months coming up. Um, I know that that, that could potentially change things. So like, I can't say, you know, without a doubt as someone who is still new to the whole parenting world and all of that, I know several of my friends who have like, look, if my kid's not doing well, like I'm not going to go shoot that wedding. And I can say that I would still go shoot that wedding right now, but I also can't say because I haven't dealt with that myself yet. And I know that brings about a whole different element to everything, of course, as well. It does, yeah. And and just to be clear, when when I talk about this conversation of self-care, one, I certainly don't want to minimize it. And I also know that that's going to look different for different people. But I just, I, I do wonder if as a, I mean, certainly as a culture um, and potentially as an industry as well, if we've gotten a little bit soft, like they, self-care is important. We need to take care of ourselves. But if that pendulum swings to the extreme, like so many things happen, do in our society, um, what does that look like? And is that actually interfering with not only personal growth, but ultimately the ability for us to be able to run a business effectively, to, to represent our brand effectively? I think, it's, uh, I think it's important to at least ask that question. Jenny chimed in again. She said, exactly as Scott said, show up, but don't be so soft that you take away too many clients and end up burnout out at the cost of your health. Sanity, or sanity, creativity, and family. Yeah, and that's actually a beautiful way to sum that up, Jenny. So thanks for chiming in again. And for the rest of you who are live streaming, don't be shy. Join in as well into the conversation. Uh, Sue says hello from Sun Valley. Thanks for joining us again, Sue. Good to hear from you. Let's keep the conversation going. I want to get to the next point um, in that Facebook post. You, you address photographers for bashing each other, trying to have conversations about, about money. And let, let me actually just kind of read this excerpt real quick, and I'd love for you to to comment on it. You said, I'm really tired of photographers bashing each other for trying to have conversations about money. Personally, I think there need to be more open conversations about money so we can all raise each other up. You don't need to partake in these conversations if you don't want to, but don't bash others for trying to change the narrative and help change this dated mindset. Can you give a little bit of context and commentary on on this topic as well, Scott? Yeah. So uh, I I seem to uh, stir the pot quite a bit. Whenever I see in in Facebook groups or things online, I see people commenting like, oh, you know, um, I'm available or uh, sure, I can fly out for this wedding when people like post up, here's a job, here's something. And, uh, you know, they're talking about doing it for a few hundred bucks, maybe even a few thousand bucks. And, you know, you can clearly tell that they are not local. They're going to burn through all this money to try to take on this job. And it's just like I tell people and I say, as an example, I say, I personally will not travel more than two hours away for less than about usually around $10,000. That's that's my point. And I say this and it's not as a brag. I want to make that very, very clear. It's never to brag. It's simply to say that I value my time and I also want you to value your skills and time in a similar way. And it might not be 10K and that's okay. And not everybody is at that point. I Trust me, I was once there back at the point where I would, hey, if you pay me 500 bucks, I'd go drive 10 hours to you. Um, but that also resulted in a lot of burnout, uh, me not actually making any money and uh, lots of other issues like that. 
So I, I really just, the, the goal is to get people thinking and saying, okay, no, I value my time, I value my skills, and uh, we need to have more conversations about these types of things instead of just like, oh, you're just bragging about this or uh, you're not worth that much or hmm. I, I don't know. It just has kind of rubbed me the wrong way with that. Um, so basically, you're like, the, I don't the, know. The bashing that's happening is about photographers criticizing other photographers for having like a minimum requirement to, to go yeah, photograph with yeah. I've had people straight up comment back and be just like, yeah, you're just trying to humble brag. It's just like, no, I'm, I'm really, really not. Um, also, why are we interpreting something that somebody typed on the internet? I mean, it's just basically we're trolling on the internet. That's essentially all we're doing <laughs> at that point then. Okay. It's just like, we're, but we're not. Nobody can read context on the internet. Let's be real. Like we're, we're typing back and forth and you can't take anybody's word exactly for what it is because we don't know the true intentions behind all of that. Um, but like right now, I mean, it's even been the news from what I've been seeing lately. There's a current trend about uh, just regular every industry trying to talk about salaries uh, and hourly wages more publicly and trying to get companies to actually post up like, hey, here's a salary range, here's an hourly range, something mm -hmm. like that, because there's so much secrecy behind it. And while I do get that for certain things, um, there are certain things that just shouldn't be secret. Um, like any teacher's salary, you can go online and find out exactly how much they make. Yeah. So like my, I, I literally had a parent went online and they're like, you get paid this much. And I was just like, yeah, I do. And it was just like, yeah, it's public information. It is out there. So I'm not saying we need to out everybody's salary and pay and all of those things. But also, why are we not talking a little bit more about all of this stuff? Because if we all understand and can kind of see where different people are at and making different amounts, it causes everybody to have a conversation and also hopefully reevaluate what they are paying themselves, what they're making, and all of those different things. Because I know for a while, I didn't realize just how much could be made in our industry, mm. uh, especially early on. I was just like, you know, I started hearing about people charging 5,000 for a wedding. And I went, oh my gosh, that's insane. I could never charge that much. I'm charging a thousand bucks over here for a wedding. I'm struggling to get clients. And now I look at that and I'm like, huh, you can't get me to leave the house for less than a thousand bucks right now. Um, and it's just a completely different mindset shift. And I really wish people didn't bash on other people for choosing to basically run their business in a certain way mm -hmm. where, you know, they're not willing to do certain things for less than a certain amount. So like for myself, I love being a second photographer. I absolutely love it. But I cannot leave my family on the weekend for 500 bucks. It's just not worth it for me anymore at this point in my life. And so therefore I have drastically raised that rate up and this year I did not second shoot quite as much. And I was perfectly okay with that. Even though I missed the task of going out and working with my friends and creating more great photos, I really love all that. But at the same time, I had to say, I value my time. I value my time with my family. And I also need to remember my capacity at the end of the day. Those things are more important to me than a few hundred extra dollars. Now, the flip side of that conversation, I'm curious to get your take on this. This is something I've been talking about on the podcast for years now, is a pretty significant percentage of the industry can't afford a photographer like yourself who's charging, who has these these premium minimums. I can't right? afford myself. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, so, so I wonder, speaking of honest conversation, while I absolutely understand your point about 
clearly establishing for yourself, first of all, what it is that you're trying to accomplish as a business owner, and then letting that dictate your decisions and, and filter out your decisions regarding how you allocate your calendar for the sake of photography, right? The flip side of that conversation, though, is there's this large percentage of the country who simply, like, no, no amount of conversation about how great photography is and how great our art is and how it's an investment and all these things that photographers like to talk about, no, no amount of that conversation changes the reality of this person's bank account and how much they make. And there need to be photographers that provide services for that income bracket or those income brackets. What are your thoughts about that conversation too? Because it seems like our industry has been super obsessed with the idea of photographing the high-end bride or having a higher-end client or charging more per. And I get it, I did the same thing, but what about the rest of the, the marketplace? I mean, there will always be a place. I mean, every industry is always going to have a top, middle, and bottom, uh, no matter what, no matter how hard we try to shift things, no matter how hard we try to educate, um, there will always be a mix there. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. In fact, we need to have some balance throughout every industry. Um, in fact, when there's not a balance, that's when things kind of, you know, get very hairy, per se. So no, it's absolutely needed. Um, but I think... It also depends on what people really want. Like I have several friends who do the 40 to 50 weddings a year and they love it because mm. they love working that often. And so like, they're just like, I'm cool being in that three to $4,000 range, which is kind of that middle ground. And um, they're perfectly happy being there. And I'm like, hey, kudos to you. Like go out there, you keep doing that. Um, and then some of them keep doing that and some of them shift towards doing less weddings later on in life then. Um, you know, there's, everybody's going to pivot at different times. Like who's not to say that at one point later on in my life, I might do weddings a little bit cheaper just as a, like a little side thing. Like I, I, I truly can't say or no, everything, you know, we think we know right now, five years from now could be drastically, drastically different. Um, so I always tell people like, no, you don't need to get up into this uh, higher end luxury market. Um, there's a lot of other things that come with it that people don't realize. Uh, you know, you have to worry a lot more about branding and language and the way you communicate with your clients. And while honestly, I think clients do tend to be easier at the higher end, you can also get some real nightmare ones too. Um, <laughs> but that true. can be said at any level. Um, that's the thing is you can experience the same thing at every level. So it's really just to say, find where you feel like you are happy and then stick with that. Shannon from Facebook says, may I ask, how do you verbally express why you're at a rate higher than other photographers? Just curious how you verbally express your value in a consultation. Hmm. Uh, how to answer that in a succinct way. <laughs> um, it's, it's tricky. There's, it's something where I kind of say, if you have to explain it in a ton of detail, you've probably missed a lot of prerequisite stuff that comes with that. Mm, okay. um, so in my mind, number one is the we your website has to communicate your value uh, first and foremost and should really speak to the types of clients that you want. So like my brand message, um, by the way, if you have not read um, by Donald Miller, uh, Building a Story Brand, highly, highly, highly recommend it. Phenomenal book, um, yeah. great, great trainings and all that. And uh, my brand message says that like, if you want photos and an experience that is not cookie cutter, we need to talk. And so um, in my branding, I have about, literally there's photos of me with cookies on there and all this different stuff. And so I'm trying to say to people like, look, you're not looking for the average. 
So we, we can't do average. So here is what this is going to look like. Uh, so it's a lot talking about the experience, talking about, again, for me, I take on less weddings. And so therefore I get to know my clients uh, on a little bit of a deeper level there. And so when you tell clients like, hey, look, you're not just number one of 50, you're number one of 20. And by the way, here's my personal cell phone number. Here's how you can have a client portal, access everything, schedule everything with me. Um, you know, it's going to be more of a handheld process. It's not just going to be uh, receive a few automated emails and I'll show up at the wedding, shoot your, and then send you a gallery link. Right. Uh, so like for me, I do reveal parties, which is like, hey, I'm going to wine dine you. We're going to sit down, look through everything. I got an album design custom made for you. It's, it's really making it all about experience. And I tell everybody this, your photos can be amazing, but guess what? At this point, everybody's photos are amazing. So it has to be about the experience. It really has to be about what is it that you do in your experience differently than everyone else that will set you apart. And once you find that, you got to hone in on that and you have to scream it from a mountaintop and repeat, repeat, repeat until you are literally tired of saying it and then keep saying it. Yeah, I'm so glad you bring up that point about experience. And by the way, Shannon, thanks for the for the comment, the question. And uh, again, for those of you that are live streaming. That's a great streaming, question. Yeah, don't don't be shy to jump in and, and ask questions and comment as we go here. I just did a, a little shoot for a family just the other day, Scott. And as kind of an experiment of sorts, I, I took both my phone. I have an iPhone 14, 14 Pro. Um, and then I took my DSLR as well and photographed the session using both. And when you talk about how everybody's taking good pictures now, it's mind blowing actually to, to compare images straight out of the camera coming from the phone mm-hmm. versus the so-called fancy camera. Um, Absolutely. And because what that phone can generate because of AI and all the processing that it does internally straight out of the camera in some cases blows away what you're seeing straight out of the camera before any kind of post-production work on some of those raw files from the, the Canon that I happen to be photographing with. Uh, so to that end, we can't minimize experience in any way at this point, because if somebody can pick up a phone and take a great picture, um, what does that mean for the industry at large and the significance of experience over, you know, being able to put a, a badge around your neck saying that you have a particular certification or whatever, because you can take a good picture. Most people don't care about that. They, the end clients don't care about that. They want a great experience and, and some good pictures to go along with it. But that experience is really what is going to make your brand stand out. And also the significance of, creating expectations, creating and managing expectations that put the right clients in front of you, as you pointed out, it's, it's also a really important thing. So yeah, I know that we could park there on that particular topic for a little bit, but I want to keep the conversation moving and, and really to, I guess, the segment of your post that caught my attention the most, because this is something <laughs> I've been thinking about for some time. And I guess I have some concern about it for multiple reasons. We can dig into all of this, but you talked about the state of the photography or photographic education in our industry. And I'll just read this excerpt. You said, I'm really disappointed in the photography education industry. There are so many educators that are held in high esteem and teach things that they don't even practice in their own business. The hypocrisy is truly amazing. Do as I say, but not as I actually do. There are so many educators that are promoted by their friends, even though their friends know all of their shady business practices. They turn a blind eye because their friends at it uh, would cause huge waves if their actual behaviors and practices came, came to light. Most educators are promoting specific products and services because they get massive kickbacks from those companies. If you only knew how much money some of the big names earn from promoting products that they don't even use themselves. And um, so, I mean, there's so many different directions we could go in this conversation. And I know that you're in the education space as well, which I think makes this conversation that much more interesting. 
do you think, first of all, and part of my concern around the, the education industry right, right now and has been for some time is just the sheer volume of photographers that are getting into that space. Um, it kind of seemed like I think back, I don't know, maybe eight or 10 years back in the industry when photographers started to realize that they could do something besides just shoot. And so whether they were launching a, an education course or partnering with a company and launching a product or selling some software, uh, that became kind of a trendy thing for a bit. And you'd see them get up to speak at a conference or workshop or otherwise. And, and you just kind of knew that some, they were going to say something, try to sell you something. Mm -hmm. And and then that shifted massively really in the direction of education. And I think at least part of it was like a, almost like a get rich quick scheme of sorts. Like they thought or assumed that they could make a ton of money selling education courses online, make some quote unquote passive income. Uh, and maybe that's been part of the draw. But what are your thoughts about just the sheer volume of photographers that are now experts in our industry? Like at some point, is there some kind of a weird imbalance that's going on? So here's the thing. I will always say this. I'm, I'm never personally worried about more people becoming educators in the space because we've seen it as photographers. There's so many of us and um, yet most of us still are doing fine and have plenty of business. Like, you know, there's tons of new photographers in my town. Am I worried about them? No. Um, with that being said, though, if we're talking about quality education, that is the concerning part. And there's mm -hmm. a big, big difference there. Um, How do you define feel quality, like, by the way, uh, just to give further context to what you're saying? I mean, it's always subjective, of course. Um, that's, that's the tricky part about all of this. But um, Is it, though? I'm curious. Well, yes and no. Um, it, I think it depends on the expectations that are set by the educator themselves. Mm. Um, I think a lot of the times that's the issue, mm -hmm. is that the educator is trying to attract everyone. And as we all know as photographers, if you really truly want to elevate you and your brand and your photography you go a little bit more niche and you try to focus on one thing. But why is it then as educators, so many of them try to just, hey, everybody, look at this. Um, because it's a little bit easier. It's a little bit more general. And what do you do? You typically get the more um, amateur photographers who are just kind of starting out. They're more easily... Um, how do you say it? They're more subjective to purchasing things like this because they're like, oh, that looks really cool. That spoke to me. And then they buy it and then they kind of go down this whole rabbit hole with all of that right there. Because they don't um, know better so, because they're new to the industry, you're saying? Exactly. They, they okay. don't know any better. And I mean, I was one of those people. I bought tons of courses, all these different things. And it was just kind of like at some point I was like, what am I doing? Like, I just keep buying all these, you know, little things here and there. And some were good. And but honestly, most were kind of junk at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, it does worry me somewhat. Like I've seen photographers being like, oh, I'm going to teach off camera flash. And literally they have photographed 20, 30 weddings and you know, mainly do all natural light stuff. And I'm just, and they're just like, yep, just sold out my class. And it's like, cool, I'm happy for you, but I'm also really worried about those students because you have such little experience and you have not actually had to deal with all these different things in the real world yourself. Mm. So how are you going to be able to teach this to other people? The other, the biggest thing that I guess I have issues with in the education community is that um, many people are very knowledgeable. Um, there's tons of knowledge. And I, I know some people that are honestly way smarter than me at some things. But it doesn't mean that you know how to teach others. 
that is the key part that really just kind of grinds my gears. And I'm not saying that it makes me better because I was actually a teacher, but you do need to know how to uh, teach in a certain way. Uh, you cannot just regurgitate information and be like, I'm an educator. That You're not an educator mm. then. Anybody okay. can do that. Anybody can go and look something up online, regurgitate it in their own way, tie it up, make a video for it, make a PDF and sell it as this amazing course. But it doesn't actually teach anybody anything new. It doesn't talk about the why or the how or anything like that. So we need to make sure that any education that's out there, it needs to go deeper than just this is how I do it. And uh, now you go do it. It, okay. it can't be just that. And I see that so, so much. I like that distinction. Yeah, it's one thing just to just kind of go on and on rant about the way that you're doing things. It's another thing to teach it in a way that is a understandable, b applicable and c even more specifically applicable for that individual photographer and their needs. And you kind of touched on that a little bit earlier. We can't just put general education out there and expect that it's going to fit everybody's individual needs. Yeah. So like, for example, um, I teach an in-person workshop. Um, I just did it back in September. And uh, during the workshop there, one of the things is I work through uh, speed posing of like going through like kind of poses, prompts, things like that. And so I literally show the students like with a real life couple, here is how I go about doing it myself. And so I say, these are the things that I always do. And then here are the things that then I kind of have to feel out for each couple. How am I going to adapt it to fit kind of their personality, their style? And so I do that right on the spot. I model it for them. And then I have all of them do it themselves. So they actually practice it right on the spot after seeing it for the first time from me. And so as they're doing that, I tell them all, I want you at some point to put your own little spin on it now. So you can duplicate me for part of it, but then you need to figure out what's going to be your little own personal twist that fits your brand best now. And so it was so cool to get to see all of them be like, okay, so you did this. That's not really kind of my style. And then they did this instead. And you could see the look on their face when they were like, ah, that felt good. Because I was like, why did that feel good? And they said, well, because like, that's something I naturally do. And I'm like, exactly. That's what I want you to do. I want you to take pieces of what I'm showing you and then say, cool, how can I adapt this so that fits what I do and feels like a natural fit for what I'm already doing? Rather right. than trying to be like, hey, here's exactly how I do it. Now you go and repeat it exactly the same way. Like if I have somebody say, okay, here are the camera settings, one two hundred, that F9, ISO 100, you're going to add a flash and shoot this way and then say, cool, now you do it. There's no learning that happens yeah. in that process. Yeah. And we, I know, I mean, I, I hear it from photographers all the time. They're like, I went to a workshop and I watched them and then they had us repeat it or they didn't even get a chance to do it. And I'm like, cool, what'd you learn? And they're like, nothing. I learned that that's the settings that they use for those photos. And I have no idea how to actually implement it and make it part of what I naturally do. And I said, well, exactly. That's the problem. There was no actual teaching happening there. It was modeling. That's what we should call it is modeling. That's it. I, I wonder, is that, is that the difference between um, sharing, let's just call it tips and tricks, like the candy of the photography industry. It, it feels good in the moment. It tastes great, really quick consumption but it doesn't give you anything of substance versus starting with kind of principles that are 
at a, at a deeper level, at a root level, applicable, actually applicable to these various photographers in the different business scenarios that they find themselves in. Is, is that one of the distinctions between teaching that's, that's good and not so good? I would say a little bit there. Um, yeah, I mean, let's be real. The reason that everybody does these quick tips and tricks, um, also, of course, talking about photography gear itself, um, you know, all of these things are, they're what people want to hear. And I hate to say it, but like the YouTube analytics back it up, the Google search results back it up. Right. Like these are the things that people search for and look for. And therefore, what does the industry do? It keeps feeding that because we kind of have a game to play. And so like, I can't say I'm not guilty of that myself at times, you know, we use titles and things like that to catch people's attention. Hopefully there's more beyond that than just, right. you know, a catchy title. Right. Um, but I think we can agree a lot of the times it's not, it's just, Hey, here's the coolest little niche thing that you should be doing or that you want to be looking out for. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's only going to get you so far. Um, actual good business fundamentals, good photography skill fundamentals, all of these things uh, that they haven't really changed, um, but they're not big and sexy things that people want to right. hear. Um, you know, like with gear, uh, I've been using the same gear for five years now. I have not purchased a new lens or camera body in five <laughs> years. How dare you? I have... I know. I have friends who are still shooting on like Nikon D750s and they're killing it. And yeah. like... It just goes to show you, it really, really does not matter at the end of the day. Are you, do you have happy clients? Mm. Are you making good photos? And do you have money in your bank account? If you do, then fantastic. I could care less what you're shooting with. I could care less about how many Instagram likes you're getting. I don't care about that stuff. Yeah. So, and I mean, I know that's a hot take, but uh, I mean, that's why like people were like, well, why don't you give me a gear review on this? I'm like, cause I, I don't know. I haven't purchased anything new in five years. I really don't care. Yeah. The, the more blunt answer there would be because it doesn't matter. <laughs> that's, exactly. That's it really truly does not matter. I still yep. think back to, uh, the first, I guess, professional digital camera that I ever bought, uh, we ever bought as a, as a studio was a Nikon D one X. And it was less than six megapixels. The dynamic range was terrible. Uh, and yet, if you knew how to take a good picture, just the basics of photography, you could get a stunning image. And I still could, a stunning image out of that camera and easily blow it up to a 20 by 30, 30 by 40 and have a, a ecstatic client. Um, so yep. yeah, it, all these iterations, they may be fun for the sake of tech conversation, but it doesn't actually matter that much to, to business. And that's the honest conversation. So I'm, I'm glad that you bring that up. But you talked about hypocrisy. Are you seeing the hypocrisy in the photography side of the education, like the technical education around photography, or is it on the business side or a combination of both? What does it actually look like tangibly? I, I see it with both. Um, I mean, obviously, I, I can't name names um, because also many of these people require you to sign NDAs and all of that fun stuff. Um, to I, I hate to say it, it's to cover their butts, mm -hmm. um, which is really, really sad. Uh, that's a whole other topic for a different day. But um, it, it's I, I really wish there was more out there. Um, I kind of made a little note about this because I wanted to briefly touch on it. But yeah. if you notice, there, there are no reviews online for any of these photography educators, except mm. for on their own personal websites and their own Facebook groups, mm. which are all places that they control. So even if there is a bad review, what do you think is going to happen to it? It's not going to exist out there for very long. And um, 
It's, it's something that has always bothered me is why do we not have a platform of some sort where we can keep reviews of like, hey, look, you actually purchased this course. What is your actual opinion of it without the, you know, educator pressuring you to leave a review or anything like that? Um, that's some that's a huge gap. I feel like our industry needs to address in some way. Um, I felt that way about uh, associates, seconds, and assistants for a while, but uh, my friends, I think they were on your podcast recently, uh, Shoot With Me, um, yeah. is a great new thing, and um, therefore you can actually see reviews mm -hmm. of people that you're potentially going to hire, which was desperately needed. Um, but I think we need that type of accountability within the education sector as well. Because if you look, like when's the last time you saw a negative review of anything educational from any of the big names out there. Like, That's a really great try to point. think about it. Yeah. You, you probably haven't seen it mm. um, because I guarantee you it does not exist because it's been cleaned up, it's been polished, and it's mm. not available publicly. And most of the time it's because legal action is threatened or different things are signed that require you not to say a word. And again, everybody's like, you got to name names, you got to tell me. It's like, I wish I could, but that's going to get ugly then. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I so see that, too, that you talk about kind of the dishonesty, um, the, the, the evergreen content that photographers are put, putting online, these automated webinars, essentially, that the photographers whose names are attached to these webinars are, are treating as though they're doing these live. Even that just to me seems very, well, I mean, it's innately dishonest, but it's scammy and, and just kind of gross. And the it's fact like the that, next one starts in three minutes, hop in right now. Yeah, it's make like, sure you don't miss wait. out on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, and I don't know if if these photographers assume that are that are hosting these courses assume that the photography industry is that dumb that they're not going to figure it out, or if unfortunately some photographers just aren't thinking critically and they don't actually realize that what they're being fed isn't like fully legitimate. But that kind of stuff just drives me crazy. And like you said, there's a lack of transparency innate to that as well. And it just feels really gross. And, and it's part yes. of what I've had a, a problem with. Um, so I, I, like, I like this idea. Maybe, maybe that's your next business idea is, <laughs> is to, to create a site that, that allows for photographers to be open and honest and upfront about their experiences, whether it's at workshops or because I think there may be some kind of innate fear too. some of these photographers are like, if I, if I throw this particular photographer under the bus, my uh, reputation in some way or my brand is going to be affected negatively as a result. And of course, the, the the reality is that most of their clients or potential clients have no idea who these photographers are and it wouldn't actually matter. But the photographers right. are too afraid to say something um, for... They might get ganged up on by that educator's group or something like yeah. that. Like, yeah. I, I, that, that should never be the case. Because if we think about this in our real life, like if you go to... You know, if you go to a business place and you have an awful experience, it's not saying that you want to put them on blast. And it's not like I'm encouraging people to blast, you know, educators by any means. But if you really truly have a bad experience and you've reached out to them and they are not willing to work with you, talk to you, listen to what you have to say at all. Well, then I feel like you should have a voice at some point that gets to say, like, hey, look, I tried this. This wasn't for me. Here are the reasons why. And if it's a very valid thing and it didn't meet the expectations that the educator put out there in the first place, that review should exist out there for people to see, in my opinion, mm. um, because I've I've paid. I, I will say I have paid some big name educators in the industry. I'm talking four or five figures for some done for you services and coaching and different things like that. 
And while overall my experiences have been good, I will say there's some names that people would be horrified to find out I have had bad experiences with. And um, again, can't talk about them publicly because of these different things. And it's really unfortunate in that fact um, because then I can't help prevent the next person from making that same mistake. And I don't want to bury that person because I don't think they're a bad person, but I think they need to be much more clear about how they're doing things and actually... Uh, the review should state like, hey, look, this person is in way over their head. They're taking on way more than they should. And unfortunately, their services have kind of suffered because of that fact. Mm. Um, you know, that's that's like basic, you know, public information, I feel like. You know, if you go to a restaurant and uh, they're overbooking and cancel your reservation, like that's something that should be available to be found online. You should not be hidden from, you know, putting word out there about something like that. I, I agree. I, this is a really interesting conversation. Yeah, maybe you and I can can talk offline and, and figure out a way to put something <laughs> together because there's I think there's a real opportunity for that. And and the goal in my mind, I'm concerned about the photography industry, right? In that because I've been to countless and this has been an issue for years. It's it's changed pretty drastically in the last five to seven years with the popularity of online courses and and for that matter, the ease of being able to produce one and put it online. So photographers are of course rushing to do that, but. This has been going on for some time. I mean, even just basic ability of a photographer to effectively communicate, let's just say, uh, like a, we're talking about a, a, a simple template, if you will, communicating a problem and then breaking down the the elements of that problem and then how to address those problems and then ultimately as a result build a stronger business when I go to a to a photography workshop or a conference or I listen to an educator a lot of times information is just kind of unloaded on you um, mm -hmm. like a fire hydrant it's just that paragraphs of text on 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 the slides and you see photographers that are you know snapping pictures of that and we all know nobody's going to go back to that they're not learning yep. anything from it and they go to the next screen and more more text the paragraphs of text is dumped on you there's no real structure to the education process. And it's very clear that most of these photographers don't have an education background, which in and of itself isn't a problem. But as much as photographers are spending time developing these courses and putting them online, they should be putting as much importance on their ability as a teacher and spending the time and effort and energy to learn how to become a better teacher, how to present concepts, how to be able to design a slide or set of slides so that the information is is not only easily consumed and understood, but ultimately they're not overwhelming the photographer with too much information. And then that photographer can actually take that information, go and apply it to their business. Um, I, I'm just, there is a significant lack of quality in education. And I think to your earlier point, a lot of it does come down to the fact that there's a lack of education in that realm, but I think it needs to change. Um, and absolutely, I, I don't know how, how that's going to happen exactly. I mean, we're, we're in the process right now. We're in January. We, we were hosting a conference here in Chattanooga specifically for new photographers. And I, and I asked speakers to come to this conference based on their, largely based on their ability to teach, um, mm. based on my personal experience and interactions with them. But instead of having speakers at the conference because of their celebrity, I'm having speakers at the conference because of their ability to teach a particular topic. And that's where the actual value lies. There's been so much focus on celebrity and big following, like you said earlier, that, that it's taken away from the opportunity for photographers to learn from quality education. And I think we just we need to put more emphasis there. And I think a bit of accountability might help encourage that. Absolutely. And I mean, honestly, when you get, when you get people results, 
when you get people to take action on things and they have success, that's a win for the educator. Um, like that's the biggest thing I just can't stress enough is that uh, when you actually take the time and you don't just give them that fire hose of uh, content and you say, okay, here's some content and then let's work on actually doing something with it and then getting you some results. That student's then going to go out there and talk about that and say, I had a great experience with this person. And that's because, you know, they talked to me about this. I got this result as a part of that. And it's a win-win for everybody. Um, Basic teaching says that it should be, look, I model for you. Then we do it together. And then you do it on your own. That's very basic fundamentals Mm -hmm. that like anybody can understand. And so when you model it that way and work with people in that sense, all of a sudden, um, you know, all those workshops, all those things that they've tried to consume before and didn't get results from, um, all of a sudden they can now start processing it that way when it's broken down into something very simple like that. Mm. I like that. Okay. I, we could easily park here cause I have various thoughts on it, but, but, uh, we'll keep going here for the sake of conversation. As we finish up, uh, Chris Torres chiming in from YouTube saying two of my favorite people to learn from just out here spitting truths. Thanks for chiming in, Chris. Wow. I really appreciate that. And uh, I guess just to finish up this conversation around education, one of the things that you alluded to, in fact, let me just read this, this excerpt from your, uh, your quote, you said, most educators are promoting specific products and services because they get massive kickbacks from those companies. If you only knew how much money some of the big names earn from promoting products, they don't even use themselves. I, as, a, as a company owner, a photographer's at a post-production company, I've, I've stayed away from, I call it the celebrity game because there's so much politics involved in that. And I don't like that feeling, that kind of sleazy feeling of here is some kind of compensation so that you go talk about my brand. Uh, my approach at this stage anyway, tends to be if you're talking about my brand, I'm naturally super appreciative. And then I want to do something for you as a, almost like a thank you, right? You're adding Mm -hmm. value to my company just innately. And as a result, I want to add value to your life versus the other way around, but seems to be more popular, which is, oh, you've got a massive following. Let me give you a bunch of money. And hopefully we're going to make some, some money from that as a result. My business is going to grow from that as a result. How, how can we change this dynamic so that one, there is transparency, um, and honesty that goes along with it. But then two, I guess I keep using this word sleazy. It's kind of an old school term, but so that things don't feel as sleazy. Like when you're actually hearing from a photographer that about a particular product that you can trust that they're actually using the product, that they actually like the product and not just because they're being fed some money into their pocket. Well, that would require some photographers to actually have some morals. Um, yeah, yeah, I went there. Um, I mean, I, I have been approached by so many companies and this is not a brag. I've been approached by so many, uh, I've been approached by album companies, uh, different editing companies, all of that stuff to be basically like, Hey, come on, be our brand ambassador. We'll hook you up with all these things. And, uh, I said, thanks, but I'm currently using something I'm very, very happy with Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to change. And they were just like, well, what if we upped it to this even? I'm like, again, I appreciate the offer, but it's going to be a no because I need to come from a place of honesty, in my opinion. Um, and again, just to give a scenario, I won't name names, but there was an album company approach, basically um, every like mag mod photographer, every SLR lounge ambassador, like they just went down the list and just reached out and you could tell it was a blanket email to everybody. Like, hey, we love your work. We want you to use our albums, um, blah, 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 blah. 
And so they would hook you up with all the kinds of free albums and all of this stuff. But then you had to make public posts, you know, sharing out about yeah. them and all these different things there. Yeah. And there were some financial kickbacks and things like that, too. Um, and would it have been very lucrative for me? Absolutely. Um, I'd be banking, you know, four figures a year easily off of uh, that partnership right there. Um, but... I use a manufacturer that I love. I don't get a penny kickback from them, but I shout them out from the mountaintops. By the way, Blacksmith Albums, love you guys. Shout out. Um, you know, but like I don't get a penny kickback from them and I never will. And I'm perfectly okay with that because I actually use the product and I love it and use it on a regular basis. Mm. Um, so I feel like... I feel like a big thing that educators need to do is if you're using a product, like you need to actually show the behind the scenes or show that like you recently bought or used that product. Um, I think that really gives a lot of credibility to things. So for example, like I'm a Sprout Studio ambassador. So like I will in the lives in my Facebook group, I will like log into the back end of my Sprout and like show people different features of Sprout that like, why, here's why I use it. Here's why I love it. And like, yeah, you can see like, a couple just paid me like two minutes ago. So like they can see that it is real time. I'm actively using it and all of that stuff. Um, for example, I mean, I'll put it out there because I think everybody knows it. Uh, HoneyBook is touted by, I think, every, you know, educator in the world. Um, I'm not saying it's a good product, not saying it's a bad product, but there's a reason that everybody is being an ambassador for HoneyBook. And that is because there's a massive, massive kickback on it. And uh, I know for a fact there are several big name educators who have made tens, even hundreds of thousands of dollars off of affiliate for HoneyBook. And they don't even use HoneyBook anymore. Like they tried it out and they were like, oh, cool. Yeah, affiliate link. And they're still promoting it to this day, but not mm. actually using it to run their business. Mm. And um that's where I really just encourage people, like anytime an educator is promoting something, um, I would really just ask to see that they are actually currently using it in their own business. And if they're not, then you can't really take their word for it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I really wish there was more, um, more transparency with all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, it gets tricky though, too, because with a lot of these companies, you can only say so much about the deals and all of that stuff. Like, right. you know, I can't, I can't say about like what Magma does to help me out with things. Like, obviously, yes, they help me out with some things as well. Um, and there's, there's some little kickbacks and things like that and all that. But like, I actually use it every single time I'm on a photo shoot. So, yeah, I'm going to be a little bit biased. It's not because of the kickback. It's because literally it's all I know how to use at this point because it's what I use on a regular basis. Sure. Um, but there are certain things where I feel like, you know, like right now there's the big AI debate of, you know, there's Aftershoot and Imagine and they're kind of like battling it back and forth. And people were like, which one do you recommend? And I'm like, honestly, at this point, I don't know. I keep trying them both and eventually I'll see whichever one wins out of my mind. But like, I'm not going to put all of my effort and preach about one of them over the other because they're both so constantly changing. And um, I think they're both making pretty solid products. And it's just a matter of which one do you think works best for you? Um, I, I, yeah, I just try to keep it simple and try to not say this is the end all be all. This is what you have to use because there's something out there that fits everybody. Well, it, it goes back to the honest conversation, too. Um, if, if there are, I mean, the way that you just shared about MagMod, 
if you're willing, if photographers who have sponsors are willing to have that kind of conversation, which is, yes, I'm compensated. There's a deal. I can't go into the specifics, but we have a working relationship. But this is also specifically how I'm using this product in my day to day or week to week existence as a photography business owner. That kind of honest conversation to me at least makes makes it a lot easier to buy in. I, yes. I'm a bit more cynical, but I, 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 in fact, I don't think I'm even that cynical. I'm just using my brain here. And, and when I read some of the, the copy from these photographers who are promoting things, it's so obvious just how, well, again, it just feels super sleazy because it doesn't, it doesn't come off as genuine. And yeah, to your earlier point, you can't necessarily read into text, but I think at this point, we, we also, as a society and a culture, we've learned how to read tone from conversation mm -hmm. online, at least to a point, enough to be able to differentiate between what is coming off as forced and not, right? And I, I just think photographers are almost insulting to the industry at large to, to assume that photographers on the outside of these deals are able to read the copy or hear the video or watch the video and not actually figure out what's going on. I think that's a, I think that's insulting to, to photographers it intelligence. Is. I mean, we, we all know, we all see stuff that just feels and just looks scammy and all of that. Um, like while I am a Sprout Studio ambassador and love them and promote them, like I will tell certain people like, look, if you want all the automation stuff in the world, you probably should go look at Tave or Dubsado because those might be a better fit for what you need. But if you're more concerned about the client experience and having a true all-in-one CRM, well, then Sprout's probably the best choice for you. Right. If you want a more basic one, maybe 17 hats. Like, um, I I'm someone who will never, sh never shy away from saying that, yes, of course, there are other products out there. Uh, here they are. Here's kind of where I would suggest you go based on those things. Um, but here's what I use. Here's why I use it. And then you got to go out there and do your own research. That's the other thing. Like, I... I can't stress it enough. You cannot take anyone's word for what it is these days. I feel like um, as crappy as that is to say um, that there's not too many very honest people left anymore that will give you the true full rundown of here are the pros, here are the cons and all the in between. Hmm. Well, I mean, and then the flip side of that, just to kind of keep things as positive as possible too, though, be the, be the person that photographers can trust, whether you have a product to sell or not. Yes be the person that, that people can trust and actually follow through on your word. I, I think that's something that, that we've lost sight of quite a bit, not just in our industry, but in culture in general. And it's, and it's meaningful. And the cool thing about doing that is that it's unusual. So it's a lot easier to stand out as that person and you can become trustworthy uh, at a whole different level because it isn't commonplace. Uh, Jakevius on, on YouTube is saying, Scott is preaching from the pulpit. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> And uh, thanks for continuing to chime in, Shkivius. Really appreciate that. Just one last uh, hot take from you, Scott, if you don't mind, before we finish up here. And I, and I appreciate you sharing your thoughts and uh, opinions here today. And I think, it, I think we need to have more of these types of conversations in our industry. So this has really been great. But you mentioned earlier, just kind of in passing, that you felt like at times maybe photographers are putting too much emphasis on networking with other photographers. And I'm wondering if you can give some context and, and share your thoughts on that as well. All right. So... Obviously, you know, we will naturally become friends with other photographers um, along the way. It's just part of our natural path there. However, I think so many people get caught up in trying to um, befriend every photographer out there. And instead, they should also be befriending planners, venues, um, basically other people within the industry 
to give them some balance. Um, because once you actually get to know some of these different people um, outside of their job or even within their job, you can kind of learn to see a lot of things differently. And you will learn some things that you just truly cannot learn otherwise. When we stay so much in our own lane, um, it's, it's tough to see outside of it because we are so biased, even though we might not realize it. Um, we are very, very biased in our own ways because we're in our own kind of little bubble. So make sure from time to time to get outside of your bubble, network, befriend those people because they will tell you things you would never be able to figure out otherwise. So like I just did a wedding that a planner hooked me up with and uh, I've actually become like friends with her now. And as I was chatting with her at dinner, she says, oh, by the way, um, I thought you'd find this interesting, but that the couple from tonight, um, they didn't even want to meet with you because of their budget. They knew that you were going to be outside their budget. And uh, she said, I encourage them still to meet with you no matter what. And um, yeah, they came back from meeting with you and said, 100% signing on, top package, the works, everything. Wow. And she, she went, she's like, really? And they were like, 100%, we see why you recommended him. And she said, so, she's like, it gave me so much insight. I hope this gives you some insight. And I went, oh my gosh, that was priceless. Mm-hmm. Um, because this was basically a couple that was looking to be in that five, five to $6,000 range. And I mean, again, not to brag, but after it's all said and done, they're going to probably spend nearly 15,000 with me, which is mind blowing. Like and they originally couldn't afford you. Right. 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 (laughs) And it just goes to show that like when you, when you network with other people and they understand what you do and you understand what they do, you can make these relationships that become very beneficial for both of you. So like the couple love that planner. I love working with her. Uh, she sends me work. I send her couples that don't have planners yet. So like it really w- comes all together. And that's the point. It's like I even have a DJ company where we refer people uh, because like every now and then somebody will book a DJ before me. And I just had them send me a couple and they signed on with me because we become close now. So you know, while other photographers are obviously going to usually be the main kind of extra lead source for a lot of us, we also need to remember there's lots of other people in the picture as well. And uh, the more people we can befriend and get to know, we can understand and uh, help them help us. It's, it's a win for everybody at the end of the day. Oh, huge. I mean, I would say a large percentage um, and maybe even conservatively speaking, a large percentage of my photography business, wedding photography business came for a number for a number of years actually from a, a particular wedding coordinator in town uh, i've talked about mm-hmm. her on the podcast before her name was taylor but we had such a great working relationship she'd literally not only would she just simply refer couples to us but she'd literally bring them to our office sit down with us so me and then the couple is there and she's sitting on the couch nearby and i didn't even have to say anything she would literally sell our company our business for me that was the kind yep. of working relationship. And that's we priceless. Had. Oh, it's absolutely priceless because now you're no longer the one that's talking about it, right? It comes from a genuine place. So that's that was huge, and and yeah, absolutely cannot emphasize. I, I like though the the I guess the premise of the point that you made, which is to not allow yourself to get stuck. And I think this sums up this conversation in general beautifully. Not to get stuck in that bubble. It's so easy for us to be in our own kind of echo chamber of thoughts and ideas, and then ultimately ways to do things as photography business owners, we need to take a step back, um, especially as the industry continues to change pretty quickly, 
mm-hmm. take a step back and open our minds up and, and be willing to not only hear what others have to say, but have conversation, intelligent conversation at that that involves critical thinking and, and actually learn and make adjustments uh, as we go. It, it's so important to do that versus what I've seen happen. I've been in the industry now, Scott, since 2001. Um, so 20 years or a little over 20 years. And I saw that transition that happened from film to digital. And there was a particular studio, or not studio, but a uh, print lab in town that whose owner, I mean, I developed a very close relationship with, having had so much printed by them over the years. But I could see the, the stubbornness as the industry shifted from film and film labs to online galleries and being able to order prints directly from these online galleries. I heard criticism and negativity and cynicism and all, of the, all this stuff consistently. Until one day I just said, look, you're, you're going to have to change or you're going to get lost in this process. And sure enough, they, they ended up having to shut down. Uh, we have to keep an open mind. We can't exist in our bubble or we're going to get left behind. Yeah. I was an outsider to the photography industry. Hmm. Now I kind of feel like I'm the insider. And while that's cool, at the same time, I always want to remain a little bit of an outsider because it allows me to still have that perspective that like what you've talked about is to not lose sight of, you know, hey, yes, this is our industry, but there's so much that goes on outside of our industry that we can learn from and take from. uh, And that way we don't end up being stuck in the past. Great way to sum up the conversation. Crystal says, thanks guys, gotta go to appointment. I'll watch the rest on the podcast upload. And yes, we will be pushing this out to audio uh, soon. But Scott, before we go and uh, for the sake of full transparency, you did not ask me to do this, but um, I know that you've got the education side of your business. You've got your photography business, but then also are teaching photographers of all things. You talk, you said earlier topics that aren't so sexy and, it, and it's so funny. I, I, I kind of laugh internally because it systems, workflow, structure, like this is something that's not necessarily at the top of the list of photographers to learn. And yet it, it's at the center of everything that we do on a day-to-day basis. So it's, it's a conversation that needs to be had. It's certainly education that needs to be had. Um, will you share with our listeners just a little bit about the education that you offer, the coaching that you offer? Sure. So I called it purpose and process because um, there's there's certainly lots of processes out there. Uh, we've seen them all. We've been sold them, uh, advertised too. But uh, very few, I feel like, actually have a lot of purpose behind them of here's why we're doing it. Uh, here's how we're going to go about doing it. Here's how to delegate it. Here's how to automate it. Here's how to do all these things. So that's really what I try to focus in on. So I really, truly, mainly stick to primarily the business, but I also do talk about uh, when it comes to shooting when you're out in the field, um, kind of coming up with game plans for how you can do things and replicate things. And that way you're not stuck uh, trying to figure everything out. Mm. So it's basically how can we make systems for every part of our business so that way we're not trying to make one-off unique things each and every time. Because while that's fun and all, it eventually leads to burnout, uh, both creativity and in your business. So My goal is just, hey, what are all these things that you're doing and repeating all the time? Let's systematize them. And that way you can kind of free up your brain power to be more creative, more profitable, and just live a happier and better life. So I have a Facebook group that uh, I go live in every Wednesday at 2 p.m. and uh, basically talk about all these different things. I do lives every week and uh, I'll have a new workshop coming up in a few months, probably in the Baltimore area, something like that. 
Uh, I'll be at WPPI. I'm not speaking, but I might be doing a little photo walk there. And uh, yeah, just basically hang out in the groups, follow me on there, and uh, you'll see all the advertisements for, you know, whenever different things are coming up if you're interested. Okay, cool. And we'll actually put this in, in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. It's purposeandprocess.co. I've got that up on screen. And um, you can also follow Scott there at Purpose and Process on Instagram. We'll link to both of these in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. Scott, this has been really good. Maybe we could do a round two or three. I think there's a lot more to talk about. And certainly with regards to systems too, maybe we could come back to that conversation at some point. Um, oh, and Don from Facebook says, what is the name of the group? Uh, Purpose and Process Mastermind. If you just search that on Facebook, it should come right up for you there. Awesome. And we'll link to that in the show notes as well for anybody who misses the live stream. Uh, if you go to bookapodcast.com, take advantage of those show notes. Thanks again, Scott. I really appreciate it. Thanks for everybody, uh, to everybody for listening, for chiming in. And um, we'll talk to everyone soon. Thanks, Nathan.